Welcome back to a new edition of Firewall. I am the fill-in host, Hugo Lindgren. Um, Bradley, as you know, has been on vacation and he's coming back this week. Actually, he's been on a business trip and maybe a little vacation, but he'll be back shortly. Today, we are talking to two of his close colleagues, um, Jordan Knopf, the co-founder and managing partner of Tusk Venture Partners, and Kayla Balderston, who is the head of communication for Tusk Ventures, as well as other aspects of the Tusk empire. Um, Michaela, Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Dog days of summer. <laughs> now, the last time you two were on um, to talk about uh, Tusk Ventures, um, it was October 2020, which feels like a million years ago, just a month before the election. Um, Jordan, you said something that I thought was interesting. You, you know, the, the market was overall feeling uh, quite frothy, and you said, you know, we're not paid to time the market. We're paid to put capital to work. Um, I'm sure that philosophy has not changed, but I'm, I'm curious to what extent your perspective has evolved over the last eight or nine months. Uh, this is a great, it's a great question. Thanks for highlighting a time that it actually worked out. You know, my, where my view worked out for us. But it's, um, I, you know, I think that if we, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always gonna give you that that same that same answer, just because you know, in looking back, uh, if we actually were, you know, from that perspective. Um, looking back to last October, that was like the the sale of the century compared to where the market is today. So you know, kind of uh, the market really has been continuing to push valuations higher. More deals are getting done um, at, at just larger rounds of financing are are happening across the board. So early and late stage venture. So I think that we're all just uh, you know kind of um, dealing you know doing deals with, uh, with you know with prices being set where they are. Michaela, to what extent? So, so the election happened uh, within a few weeks after that. To what extent did it feel different? I mean, the, the you know the, the whole country, maybe the world felt different. But to what extent did the did the venture world feel different to you after Biden was elected? I think where I sit is you know communications. You know, yes, in the venture world, but. Overall, I think my role is more shaped by the trends in, in the media landscape and comms. Um, I think one of the biggest changes that I saw, and I, and I was thinking about this this morning a little bit too, but it seems like we're coming out of this four-year period that was um, especially accelerated by COVID over the last year and a half of this breaking news all the time. People are glued to their phones, whether it be on Twitter, we saw with the rise of Clubhouse, um, broadcast news had a comeback moment there as well. Um, and I think we're almost, we've, we've peaked and we seem to be coming out of that a little bit. So that's how I've seen the most change of you know, to your question, a year ago, year and a half ago, I think it, and I'd be interested in what Jordan thinks of this and if it's related to deal flow at all, but it felt like every single hour and every single day, there was a new trend of this new company is the next big thing, or this is the next unicorn. Everyone should be investing in this company or this, you know, this trend, you know, clubhouse, things like that. And it seems like things have, have the, the seas have calmed a little bit. Um, and I, I see that as it relates just overall to the venture landscape, the media world, um, and all these other platforms that have been popping up. It's a really good point. I mean, and I'd have to, I'd have to agree that it, it, it almost, I don't want to say that the, that the volume of the, of, of content has gone down, but I think that people have really been focusing on finding just uh, exactly whose voice they want to follow. 
So, and that's, that's a kind of emphasized by a broader movement going on in the, in the venture ecosystem right now with kind of the, this big wave of, of creator economy companies that are coming out and helping individuals monetize on that voice. And, you know, the quality content that they used to just put out there to the world, um, whether those are financial influencers, whether they're just influencers on Twitter or on, on Instagram, you, you name it, helping people monetize on, the, on those audiences and really kind of um, drive value creation towards companies themselves that, that they're building on their own brands. Mikhail, you mentioned Clubhouse. Is that now a, a sort of piece of the landscape? Is the jury still out? How does it factor into to the way you go about your job? I think one of the most interesting things that I find about working in venture is that you really do get a look at maybe not the company, but what the trend is going to be. Um, and I've always kind of felt this way about Clubhouse that maybe it's not Clubhouse that's the company that does audio right. Maybe they were the ones who did it first. But I think we've seen not as many people downloading the app, not as many people active on the platform. But you have seen a rise in Twitter spaces and Facebook, um, Discord, all the other companies in the ecosystem beginning to add audio to their platform. Um, and so that's kind of how I see it of, you know, you'll begin, companies will come across our table that we'll evaluate and look at. And, you know, I, I think Jordan can expand on this, but you really have to begin to think about, is this the company or is this a really good idea in the general industry? Um, and we should begin looking in that area, but this may not be the company to do it. And I, I kind of have felt that way about Clubhouse the whole time of, you know, I think it was really hot for a moment where people were stuck in their houses and there was nothing else to do at night. Um, and so they were talking about things constantly. But now that people are going at, back into the world and as the kids say, IRL, doing things in real life, um, I think that they're going to stick to things like Twitter and Facebook and the other things that they use, um, but maybe integrate audio in those instead of just staying to that um, company clubhouse. Jordan, Jordan, where are you on that? Is that, does that pretty much match your, match your view? Uh, I mean, I, I really think it, it comes down to, you know, it, building any, 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 any kind of social platform requires, it's, it's so much work and, and you, 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 you really need a very engaged audience and, and you know the jury's still out for me, I guess, on the what what does Clubhouse look like a few years from now? I I I have no idea. Does it look anything close? To, is it even around a few years from now? Who knows? Um, you know, I think that really looking for what's the the end user? What is the what am I really able to extract? What value am I able to get um, by using this by using this platform? And and I think that yeah, I think the jury is still out. But it's also I'm not that target demographic. I'm not the person that is is out there publishing. Every single one of my thoughts that goes that comes into the course of the day. I mean, but not right. to say that there aren't plenty of people that. Jordan, do. if if you were if, if you'd been just like on a desert island for the last eighteen months and had just returned to civilization, um, didn't know anything about what had happened in the intervening period, what do you think would feel most different about your job and the way you go about it now? Yeah, so it's a it's a really great question, and I think there's the there's kind of a getting your personal uh, house and life in order, I, I would say, and then probably uh, getting your professional life in order. And then all of a sudden realizing that now those two are merged together. So, you know, I think that the, the first thing that you would quickly realize is that, all right, um, uh, I'm now working out of my apartment, which is no longer a size that's adequate enough to support me and my wife and my, my daughter, who will probably be screaming <laughs> in the background at any point now uh, at the, at, while, we're, while we're recording this podcast. 
But um, you know, how how's that going to work together? And do, you know, does this city, does this does this apartment that I'm currently in, or you know, fit my fit my needs? And I think that people took a a hard look and re revalue kind of what that relationship with their with their primary residence really looks like. Mm-hmm. And you you're you're from Florida, I know, Jordan. But but in previous discussions, you you you're, you you seem to be a pretty committed New Yorker to me. Has that changed at all? Um, uh, do you, do you have a different perspective on it personally? Yeah, I'm a little bit more bullish now, I'd say. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was, I was here throughout the entire pandemic. I'm, I'm in a, luckily I'm in a, a different apartment now, but I was, I was, uh, I was, you know, moving in the, in the peak of it. So I moved into a, into a, a different apartment, um, last March, which is the, the office that I'm now able to have that I'm recording from. Um, but you know, I think that some people, you know, I, look, I, I go back and I would love to, to call out every person that, you know, s- declared New York dead because right now it sure doesn't look that to be the case. And everyone I know that's looking for an apartment is scrambling because there's right. no Michaela, we were talking offline before about, about, you know, working in all kinds of different places. Um, how do you feel about being in the city and, and is it important to you in, in, in the way you do your job? Yeah, I am like Jordan where I spent the pandemic in the city. Um, I feel like we should get special badges or something at a certain point. Yeah, you should, um, you but, <laughs> but, you know, I'm the same way of people used to say to me all the time of, you know, you're crazy. Why are you still there? You know, New York. Oh my God, it's dead. And, and as I always say, like never bet against New York city. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't because because it's it's back. I think the energy people are ironically more friendly than they've ever been. Um, I think there's a few things as to whether you know people are going to split 50% of their time in the city or out. You know, when our office has been open the past few months, I live in Brooklyn, so I, I do have a little bit of a commute versus just walking into the office. Um, if I'm on back-to-back calls, I think the days of me waking up at 6 a.m. to get on a train so I can sit in a room and do calls for nine hours um, are probably over. Um, So I'd rather just wake up and do them from home and have a quiet space to actually be productive and do calls and meetings and Zooms versus if if I have a day where there's a little more time and I can catch up with people and grab a coffee with a colleague or meet someone for lunch or something, um, I do miss the, the office for that. And so I, I, a perfect world for me would be three days in the office, you know, to doing back-to-back calls from home or, or wherever you need to be. Um, but that, that would be my ideal scenario. Jordan, what can you tell me about where the company is right now, um, it, you know, coming into the fall of, of 2021? Yeah, I think that, look, we're, we're, we're still really excited. We think that there's, there's a lot that the world has kind of, uh, you know, kind of reevaluated and, and uh, kind of everyone is reconsidering what this what this global, uh, you know, unwinding of restrictive measures that took place during this pandemic, what that looks like. Um, and I think that people are, are excited about what the future what the future holds. So, um, you know, I don't think that there's and that's being reflected by, by obviously by, by the tremendous amount of of money coming into the ecosystem by the number of new companies that are being formed. And, you know, one thing that I, I would say is that um, I do feel like people are coming into this um, founders that are trying to solve problems that are just much more ambitious than they were before. So that's always, that's always great to see. I think that the, this market is, is definitely uh, the, from a funding perspective, um, going to treat those founders and those ideas um, in a highly competitive fashion. And, we're going to continue to see um, kind of 
some of the more innovative uh, concepts and business models really take off. And, and from a valuation perspective and capital raised perspective, um, giving them a jump start on a business where, you know, the new seed looks like, you know, five years ago, Series A. So, so they're able to have a lot, lot more capital to put to work uh, in building their businesses and scaling teams and talent. Can you give me a little color on, on what you mean by ambition? I mean, I, I have a sense of it, but I, I'd love any, anything you can tell us about how they're, how entrepreneurs are kind of raising their, their sites. Yeah. So I guess, you know, there's, there are always going to be, you know, companies that are built on underlying pain points uh, in, in a particular industry or, or sector and, and companies that can be great, great businesses, you know, are, are built around solving them. Um, then there's also kind of a second bucket of companies where they're solving problems that you're, you're, you're not really sure <laughs> that you even had, right? Like, I didn't really realize how much I hated uh, staying at specific hotels until I tried Airbnb. But I didn't really know that you know I was willing to live in someone right. else's apartment as a hotel. Um, so that, that's a, kind mm -hmm. of an example of that second that second bucket there. Um, and you know, right now I think that that the problem set. So in the former, um, you know, that people would go after some low hanging fruit. There were you know some specific things that were more uh, you know they weren't necessarily acute pain points with an underlying business practice that it was just, you know, something that an inefficiency that, that wasn't necessary and, and, and just a way to increase the velocity of doing day-to-day -day business. I think that now people are going back to the drawing board and are, are looking at coming up with new types of models altogether, where it's not necessarily chasing an incumbent and trying to do a specific thing better. It's, it's how do we, how do we flip this entire industry on its head? How do we create, the the Robin Hood for the you know creator economy. How do we how do we get how do we how do we get Substack out of being something that only people in venture capital and you know Gen Zs know about to where you know elevated to the point where people know that there are creators out there making millions of dollars a year in publishing their content. Um, I think it's just a, it's a whole new world out there that that people are looking to 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 capitalize on, and I think it's just it's it's one that. The ideas uh, that they have are 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 very big, and um, it's commensurate with the types of outcomes that we're starting to see in this technology ecosystem. In the past, it, you know, a likely exit used to be some sort of M and A activity to an incumbent, um, and now people are setting their sights on those those uh, Coinbase type ideas. Michaela, in the in the in the press these days, I mean, the sort of mainstream press, there's a lot of hostility towards the big tech companies, you know, particularly Facebook, mm -hmm. but but. To some extent, uh, Amazon and, and Apple and and um, how does this affect how the venture uh, industry gets covered, and in general, how you go about talking to reporters, feeling out you know what what their you know what their point of view is on on various things. Yeah, I think there's been a change that you know, we've been seeing over the past few years that is now much more apparent. Um, you can see in these articles about Amazon and Facebook and, and the other big tech companies. I always describe it as, you know, I think it was five, 10 years ago when Facebook and Twitter and others were starting, you know, they were saving the world. Technology was opening doors. It was ending dictatorships. Um, it was the future of everything and it was democratizing, you know, it was seen as this good, you know, it was a good overcoming evil. And over the past few years, I, I think it began um, with, you know, Facebook and the election in, in 2016 and Twitter and, and things like that of, 
wait a minute, these companies that we put up on this pedestal that we're supposed to be solving all the world's ills are not necessarily doing that. And frankly, they might not be the good actors that we've made them out to be. Um, and where we sit, you know, oftentimes, you know, when people are pitching their companies and stuff, it's it's all about how great their company is, how it's going to change the world, you know, why you should invest in them, which they have to do. But I think reporters have become even more and more skeptical of if you start out with, hey, you should write about this company, they're going to, you know, be the X for X, or, you know, this big problem, they're going to solve it. I think instead of five or 10 years ago, or even three, where they may have been met with, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I want to write about that. Now they, they want to know what's the there there, what's the catch here. Um, and they're much more focused on writing the story about, oh, everybody thinks X is great, but here's why it's not. Um, and so that's, right. I think, made our job a little more difficult is because where there used to be this land of opportunity and it was always, you know, the future of everything that's so great. Now it's the future is terrible. And he, this company is just adding on to the, the layer of mess. Um, and so I think it's it's become more of a, a downer um, industry to write about instead of this po imminent potential and limitless, um, you know, excitement. It's a good point that Mikhail is making there, it, you know, that if you think about it in, in, a, in a nutshell, VCs themselves, like myself and, and, and firms that, that are venture capital focused, yeah, we're all, you know, built on on having having an optimist kind of lens on the world. And I think that, that that's changed a little bit from everyone else's perspective. I think that VCs will always be optimists about, about kind of um, the future of a product, the future of a business and where the world is going. You have to be. Um, but, you know, I think that reporters are, are not taking things at face value and that can be a good thing. Do you guys have like, like that, the big new book on Facebook? Is, is that something that either one of you is interested in reading? Do you just sort of stay away from it or, or is it somewhere in between? Like, how do you guys view some of these major sort of deep dives. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, that's not probably the best use of my time to read it. Unless I wanted to, you know, if, unless I was, uh, you know, really interested on, on that subject, but from a, from a, from a personal level, sure. But from a professional level, you know, I mean, if there's a book written about the company already, then that's not really going to be uh, something of course, that's an actual investment. I'm just sort of curious of your, of your interest level in these, in these, uh, in how these big tech companies are covered. I mean, I think it's uh, on my end, it's obviously very high. <laughs> you know, not necessarily a stake in the in the. Um, I'm far less knowledgeable about it than Michaela would be, so I'd love to get her her thoughts on it. But you know, I mean, obviously, how this unfolds does set a precedent for future types of social networks. And Hugo, I don't know if you're like this as a former reporter, but an editor, but. I view, I read and view everything through the lens of a comms person and how I would have handled it. And so right. it's, right. I almost say, you know, it's, it's almost like if you were on a reality TV show and you watch a reality TV show, you're like, it kind of ruins it for you because you're like, none of this is real. And, and I know how it all comes together. And I, and I feel mm -hmm. that way about when I read articles and, and watch the news and stuff, because I just know where it's all you know, it's been through 10 iterations before you're reading it. So sometimes I like these books because they do get you, you know, a little bit more behind the scenes of how it actually played out. Um, but when it comes to Facebook, especially, I think I'm so fascinated by their communications team or oftentimes lack thereof 
strategy um, that I'm, I'm more reading it in the sense of like, what were they trying to do here or what were they trying to avoid and, and how did it end up this way? So sometimes I like those books because it helps you understand it and form the strategy. Um, but oftentimes I come out with, wow, for a company that is worth billions of dollars, there is no strategy here. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's kind of shocking. I agree. Um, I'm reading Brad Stone's book on Amazon, his second book on Amazon. And I think he does a pretty amazing job, actually. It's it's critical on Jeff Bezos for sure, but it it doesn't treat him as an idiot or a you know or a, or you know some kind of reflexively negative view on him that that is you know that would be tiresome. But you definitely get some details about him that you're like, oh my god, that is one weird guy. Um, so yeah, speaking, I mean, as someone who has done kind of book promos and stuff. The problem now nowadays is with how you do book rollouts is you offer all these exclusives up. And sometimes even with the the new book coming out on um, Trump White House that the Washington Post has been running about General Milley, I feel like I've read so many of these excerpts and I've read so many articles kind of, these are the seven biggest takeaways that then I don't end up buying or reading the book because I I feel like I got the, the scoop from the the stories about the book. Now I know that um, the uh, Tusk offices are currently being renovated, and, and uh, obviously there's going to be kind of a new environment there um, in in the uh, in the fall. I'm curious about both of you. Maybe we could start with you, Jordan. Do you think you'll end up doing more face to face pitches and kind of conducting work like you like you used to, or is uh, obviously Zoom is here to stay. There's no question about that. But it, will it be as big a part of your life as it has been? And and how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I, so from 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 my end, something that I was really excited, uh, kind of a major a major milestone at, uh, in in kind of the world returning to normal. I think was whenever. Uh, this last wave of, of, of board meetings that got scheduled from underlying portfolio companies started to, started to test the waters of how many people would be open to having an in-person board meeting, either in, you know, if there's board members in San Francisco and, you know, a third city and in New York, you know, will rotate around. And I think everybody wanted to, be, you know, be back in those, those, those sort of settings. So that was something that, that was great. And those, but those are meetings that are much longer in, in duration and, and, you know, very set, set aside, right. uh, you know, those are carved out a, a year in advance. Um, but, you know, I think that there's, there's, you know, we've been, I've been having plenty of, of uh, in-person meetings. A lot of them are happening just, you know, walking and talking, grabbing coffee. I also luckily live a few blocks from our, from our office, so it really wasn't a major disruption on, on, on our end. You know, I think there's a benefit, um, you know, uh, to, 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 to having some time carved out to be, um, you know, in a home office if you have one or just, not surrounded by, uh, you know, if you have a trading desk style floor, it can be a little bit distracting. Um, you know, but I think that people are still trying to figure out what that optimal mix looks like, where they can spend spend that time kind of in more deep thought writing or, uh, you know, kind of synthesizing um, a thesis or whatever it is that they're working on, having that in-person interaction with, with, uh, with, with you know, founders and, um, you know, in other investors. And then, Obviously, you know, there's some really strong benefits that, that have been brought to, to the fundraising environment, not just as a VC, but for founders as well, in that, you know, you can have the, 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 the pacing of deals and how quickly it takes to get done has, has improved. And by that, it's been shortened um, so dramatically that I think that leveraging 
um, you know, those Zoom meetings to run an efficient process that really is building on relationships that are probably formed in person before the fundraising right. ever starts. Michaela, tell me about your sort of plans for the fall, thoughts about about the, the new arrangement at work. Um, I, I'm excited for it. I, I think you and I were talking a little earlier about, you know, I like when the office is open and over in the spring and early summer when, when you could pop in and go, you know, again, for people like me, it gets me into the city, you know, go to a workout class, into a routine, dinner with friends, the way that it was pre-pandemic. Um, and I think that's just healthy for human beings. Um, for my new marriage, I think that's healthy. <laughs> um, just to kind of get out and start interacting with people again. That's what I'm I'm the most looking forward to. Um, I also think it helps as colleagues and and when you're part of an organization, you'll hear things or you'll say things to people, you know, jump into a room together or around the water cooler um, in a way that you're just not gonna pick up the phone or start Zooming with someone just to chit chat. Um, and so I, I think those things are really healthy, especially for the younger folks in the office as well. Now, as as, as New Yorkers, I want to ask you a, a, a very um, kind of parochial New York question, which is, um, you know, there's there's these restaurant sheds that are kind of everywhere. And um, and they through the pandemic, they were just a godsend, I think. But um, but now that the pandemic uh, is sort of going away, should the shed stay? Should they should they be reduced in somehow? Should there be design standards? What what are your what are your opinions on that, Jordan? Why don't you start, and then Michaela, you. That was probably like one of the best things that happened because of the pandemic. So it's uh, I you know this is something that you know it's it's it, it is pro that was a game changer in my opinion. I at the beginning I will say that there needed to be some level <laughs> right. of of aesthetic um, kind of. Uh, there needed to be some bar that was set because I, I think that there were, there were there were these sheds being made with 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 uh, with uh, you know shower curtains as walls for for, for a little bit too long. But now you know we've we've seen a, a something unfold here where it you know it works throughout all four seasons. They've got they've efficiently figured out ways to cool and to heat outdoors, and and it's something that actually gives these restaurants that you know I don't think that you're going to find too many people that say you know there's. There's not, uh, it's not a competitive, uh, it's not competitive enough to run a restaurant in New York, um, you know, or it's right. not difficult enough to do that. I, I mean, I think that the, the, what we're running into here is a, is a solution kind of by mistake to solve that, the scaling issue that restaurants in New York have been dealing with for, forever. So now they have adequate seating to, to, to be able to, for, for the unit economics to make actual sense, um, not to mention the fact that but, you know, personally, I, I, I enjoy it. Who doesn't enjoy feeling more like you're, you're in Europe than you are in the U.S. sometimes? Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a, a strong proponent of having them stay. I don't know what the downside would be that we would, we would ever want them to leave. Mikhail, are you pro-shed? I am. I am. Fun fact, I'm actually on my community board. Um, and this, this is a big issue right now with um, a lot of uh, residents seem to be split down the middle. Um, I think it's a generational divide, but I have to say, I mean, I think it's maybe because of the nature of our jobs and, and working in VC. And, but I, I think you always have to be innovating and looking for new solutions and changing. And this is another a, a prime example of it, of, you know, it gets people outside. It, I, I tried so many restaurants in my neighborhood that, I, that we had never been in before because you were kind of forced to look at the plates on the sidewalk and say, wow, that place looks great. I want to go in and try um, I feel different eating inside restaurants now. I think there's something nice to not having as many cars on the road. Um, so I'm I'm fully in support of, of keeping the restaurants. 
I mean, I could not agree more. And, and Michaela, like the the there are certain neighborhoods that that, and I, I think this is what you were alluding to also is that you know certain neighborhoods that that really did um, kind of uh, they really did capitalize on this opportunity in, in ways that 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 others didn't. I mean, if you look at the Lower East Side, for example, or you know in NoHo or in Brooklyn, in parts of Brooklyn, you know th- every street is lined with these and you know what like that's cool because i don't really want to look at somebody's car that's parked on alternate side street parking i'd rather have more availability to the restaurants that i want to go to michaela jordan thanks so much for coming on firewall this has been your host hugo lindgren filling in for bradley tusk who will be back at the helm on the next episode thanks so much for listening cool thanks guys thanks again